This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. I'm really excited to introduce my next Inspiring Stories guest, Dr. Faye Golomi. So Faye has worked at IBM for nearly seven years and is currently the STSM Chief Architect for IBM's Z Systems, IO Development and Data Center Connectivity. For me, Faye was one of over 70 attendees at Optica's Level Up Leadership four-day events in March 2023, which I facilitated. So I met her there and I was really struck by her courage and willingness to be open about her experiences to help other people and to tackle some of the more challenging topics within DEI. So in this episode, we talk about Faye's career pathway so far and the key decision-making moments, how role models and agency are so important for women in tech and engineering, and how to weave your career like a beautiful tapestry. I can't wait for you to hear Faye's story. So let's dig in. So I'm really excited to be talking to Faye today, and I would love it if you could start by just um, saying hello and introducing yourself. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to also be here, and hello to all of your listeners. Uh, my full name is Faye Golami. I go by Faye. Um, I'm originally from Iran and I moved to the United States for graduate school around, I think, 15 or maybe now 16 years ago. And what I do, if I want to summarize it in two words, I would say that I solve problems. But because now we have more time, I have this long official title at IBM that I usually rarely use, but I'm the chief hardware architect for IO subsystems and data center connectivity. I'm also an IBM quantum ambassador. I am a technical lead uh, in the organization that I work with. I lead various projects in system hardware design and mainly on design of the hardware for IBM Z systems and specifically for the systems connectivity to the outside world. Um, just to give a quick background for your listeners, if they have not heard about IBM Z systems, this system is an enterprise platform for mission-critical applications, mainly for hybrid multi-cloud solutions. And the system is being used by the majority of banks, insurance companies, airlines, and other enterprises. And if you have a credit card, there's more than 80% chance that your transactions is processed with the systems that my team designs. Wow, that really helps you sort of put your work in context in my everyday life so um <laughs> thank you so much for explaining that as well and just to let people know that we actually met over in Washington earlier this year so I was leading the future leaders forum for Optica and you were one of the um 70 plus attendees at that <laughs> event as well so um it's really nice to actually be interviewing someone that I've actually met in person as well <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, that is the workshop that I talk to a lot of people about. And I've talked about, you know, we even need to think about bringing this to our company for our new hires and for our leaders to, uh, you know, experience. It was a great four days. Thank you for that, Anna. 
Oh, you're very welcome. And are you able to say something a little bit about your role as an ambassador with Optica as well? Yes, yes. I became an Optica ambassador in 2022. And uh, it has been a great way for me to connect with the optics and photonics community and also visit different places in the world and uh, be an ambassador for this very exciting field of photonics and optics. And I've connected with a lot of other ambassadors and we've uh, had very um, rewarding initiatives. We've worked on very rewarding initiatives uh, together on. And it was great to see you all together at the workshop as well. You seem to have a really good, uh, good group together. So we're here today to talk about career and confidence and some transition points that you've made in your career and the decision-making processes that you kind of went through along the way. So I'd love to take you back to like, go back in your history of your timeline. <laughs> when did you first start thinking about your career? So, you know, I, I wish I could tell you, oh, I knew exactly where I wanted to go. But for me, it, it was never like that. I never knew what the next step of, in my career would be. And I never had a clear destination in mind. Uh, but I think what, I've, what has driven my journey is that I'm just curious about solving interesting problems. And whenever I was at any point in my career, if I were no longer challenged, I knew that it's the time to make a change. And if I wanna put it metaphorically, I think I always think of my journey metaphorically as a specific type of Persian rug. I'm of course from Iran and you know, rugs and carpets are a big piece of art there. And this wow. specific type of Persian rug is called gabbe. And the weaver does not have a design or map in mind and the way it starts they start weaving and they sort of make the story of their life as they go along and once it's all done you look at this beautiful and colorful piece of rug eventually which is the result so if I want to go back and when my gap is started I would say the earliest events that influenced me uh, and kind of attracted me to science and mathematics and engineering was really goes back to when I was a child, not that I was thinking about it back then, but during summer breaks, uh, my parents uh, would take us to the university with themselves. It was sort of like a fun field trip, whether I was wandering in my father's chemistry lab with these students, or if I was spending a day in the IT lab that my mom managed, I was always exposed to different fields of engineering and science. And I come from a family of educators and professors and, you know, teachers. So it was kind of natural for me to get exposed to all of that. But I want to emphasize that it does not mean that I was specific, specifically thinking those days that when I'm going to grow up, I want to be an engineer. But never. I really chose math as my major in high school. Uh, because I like solving problems. and I'm, But I'm sure those trips with my parents did spark a sense of curiosity about the world around me. And I started growing this deep interest in discovering and creating, which I think has stayed with me until today. And um, now if I want to take a little step forward, 
I finished high school and, you know, it, it was that I was a good school, good student in high school and all the teachers and everyone is like, oh, you should go to this specific university, Sharif University, which is known as the MIT of Iran and do electrical engineering. So, you know, and, and as an 18 years old person, what do I know? So, so I followed the advice of my teachers. And I think I should say everyone but my father. My father, who's a chemistry professor himself, he really wanted me to and encouraged me to go to architecture and arts. And now I always joke with him and say, you know, dad, I'm still an architect, maybe a different type of architect, right? Uh, in engineering. Yeah. So now, anyway, going back to my journey and the creation of my unique GAPE, I entered the undergraduate program with a very high confidence, like very high self-confidence. And I think everyone else entered the program like that. But I graduated with my confidence crushed to the lowest level. It was a very competitive culture in the school. And uh, once I finished, I... At the time, I thought I want to be a university professor, and I realized if I go abroad for graduate school, I have a, a better chance when I come back. You know, this is again me, twenty-two years old, thinking about what I want to do with my life, and um, so that is also a whole story to itself. I was going to go to Germany, very last minute, I decided to come to the U.S. and. Within a month, like from the day that I received the admission to I was in the U.S., it was a month. And I came to San Diego, California, which stayed to be my home for nine years. So I lived there for nine years. I loved the city. And um, I started at a master program in electrical engineering and uh, chip design, mainly. And at the time, I didn't have funding. So I had come with my own funding and the, the school is a great school, but they didn't have a lot of TAs and RAs. So I really had to work hard. I think I likely all the professors like knew me and would run away when they would see me in the hallways because I've been, I was a very good student. So that's- You that have a list of questions for them. Like I'm here yeah. and they're like, oh exactly. no, she's coming quick. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, right? <laughs> so so I finally got a teacher assistantship, which helped me for the rest of the two years. And as I did the program, I felt like, no, I don't want to become a university professor. I want to go in the industry. And I started doing a couple of internships to gain some industry experience. Uh, one of them was in a mid-sized company, another one in a uh, startup. But before all of that happened, you know, I... Starting applying for in, I started applying for internships, and I had a few offers. One of them was from this big uh, chip design company. I was so excited about it, so I turned down all of the other offers just to learn a few weeks later that I couldn't go because I didn't have the special clearance that was needed in terms of visa. So I came home crying as you can imagine <laughs> and you know I had this high hope I'm going to San Jose I'll be doing this three months there I'm going to learn a lot and then I'm going to build my career at that company and at the time I was living with my aunt and my cousin you know 
he, his room was next door. So he came and find me crying and sitting there. And it's like, okay, put yourself together. Uh, he, uh, and uh, he said, we're going to apply to as many positions that are available online. And this is now June. It's not January when everyone starts applying and getting interviews or even September now. I think now people start much earlier. So this is June, very late. We applied, I remember, maybe 50, 70, whatever was there in, in San Diego. We applied to all the open positions that was related to my background. And, and I started working as an intern, as a failure analysis intern in a... Um, company called Sierra Wireless and talking about mentors and uh, advocates my manager there I was with him only for two months but he did he would take me to this very high level meetings and everyone would ask him oh, you're bringing an intern here yeah she needs to see this so he was uh, he was amazing and I always try to be that kind of manager and team lead in uh, in any environment that I am so um, now I finished my internships. I did another internship at another startup. So I did almost 11 months of interning as a chip designer. But guess what? I finished that and I was like, no, I don't want to go into industry. <laughs> I wanted, That's why I was telling you in the beginning, I'm like leaving this thing and then making little shapes and going forward. So I wanted to apply for PhD programs and I... Uh, this is one, one and a half years already into my master's. I was ready to graduate, but I said, no, I'm not going to graduate. I quickly applied for, I think, maybe four or five schools. None of them I could get in. So as you can imagine, I'm devastated. This is not working. And then I thought, okay, maybe I need to change my method. And the next year, so I extended my master's for another year. And that next year, I applied... Uh, I got a lot of advice from everyone who had been successful in getting into a PhD program. And I applied maybe to 10 to nine universities. Most of them I got admission to. I had an offer from Yale. But then at the time, I decided to stay in San Diego. I'm still happy that I made that decision. Although like when we visited Yale, my husband was like, why did you not come here? Like, <laughs> so I entered the PhD program at UC um, uh, San Diego. And I was thinking that I'm gonna work on still chip design, but maybe for optical sensing. But as soon as I joined that lab, this is a photonic system lab, I, I fell in love with, the, with optics and photonics. And I decided to change fields, but that was a big step for me because the last course I had ever taken about lasers or uh, even about lenses was back in high school or maybe, maybe the first year of university as well by my undergrad, but I didn't remember anything. So maybe the first few weeks, they give me a book. I think it was Hecht, The Basics of Photonics and Optics. <laughs> and there I started. I spent the first nine months just studying that, reading that book, which, usu which usually undergraduate students start with. And, but I was, uh, I was, uh, I think I really tried and I was hardworking and I had the support from the folks in the lab, from our postdocs and from our research scientists. And I published a few papers. I um, completed my preliminary qualifying exam. 
And right then, this is one and a half years into the program or two years maybe already, I started questioning my purpose in life. You know, I had worked this hard to get into a PhD program and then to do my preliminary exam, heads down in the lab. But then I started really thinking about what was my life about? It was at the time, it was only about what I was doing in the school. So I was questioning, is my life only about me? Or it's also about the world around me and everyone who has given me all of these opportunities. So I was talking to my roommate and uh, she introduced me to volunteering, a website with a link of all of the volunteer opportunities that you can think of in any city. And of course, you know, I'm in San Diego at the time. And so soon I started spending my weekends uh, volunteering in different places. I volunteered in the science museum and an education uh, and also in another education center for homeless and also at the Farsi school where we are where I volunteered to teach Farsi to little students. And um, at the time I really thought I'm volunteering, I'm giving back, this is a one way street. But now I truly know that I was very wrong. I think my volunteering, and I always say this to everyone, I think it's helped me more than those that I was serving, really. The relationships I built there, the network I built there, the safe environment that I had to um, practice uh, leadership. You know, you can make mistakes, okay? It's low, low things are at stake if you make mistakes in, in, in a volunteering setting, and everyone is, you know, nicer and tries to help, and and uh, enable you to do a better job. So, and, you know, the, I also, you know, this feeling of making a difference in the world. So that has been a theme in, in my journey. So as you said, you know, Optica Ambassador is a volunteer role. Uh, so I, you know, I do that. I am a Quantum Ambassador. I'm engaged in the P-Tech program. So I do all of these things still, and that has stayed with me. And I think I'm still learning uh, from those experiences. I think you've done an excellent job there of kind of laying it all out up until this point. But I would love to pick up on a few things that you've talked about so far before we kind of move forward again. The first one is you talked about when you were younger and really that career equals identity piece. You know, if we focus on what we want to be when we grow up, sometimes we actually lose sight of the journey itself. And, you know, mm -hmm. you talked about, okay, maybe I want to be an academic, a professor, maybe I want to be such and such a thing. And then when we work towards it and suddenly we don't manage to achieve it in some way, sometimes it can feel like, ah, I'm starting to feel like a failure here because I haven't become something. So I'm always kind of encouraging people rather than saying, when I grow up, I want to be, um, mm -hmm. instead making that shift into having a compelling vision of where I'm heading and I think you started to pick up on that because you talked about that transition into okay well I need something more purposeful here you started to mm -hmm. ask, those, ask those questions of yourself and some people think that purpose is one of those things where we just kind of um should know what it is or someone has a car accident and they say oh this is my purpose something mm -hmm. happens to them but actually, for the vast majority of people, it's something to be uncovered, something that is to be worked on and that you learn through over time. And I love that you've been 
on that pathway to finding that making a difference for some time through the volunteer work because yes purpose comes through work but it can also come through the volunteer sector as well um so I loved that but the bit that I want to actually ask questions around is the competitive culture of the school so when you talked about I had this really high confidence coming in and then oh I came out with less confidence than when I started I'm sure there's many people including me who are listening here who think ah I've had that experience too so when we're in these competitive environments, often it can trigger what we call our inner critic, that part that compares us unfavorably to other people and finds us less than. So I wondered if you could talk about that experience, because I know from the workshops that you know what the inner critic is now. Can you talk about it through the lens of your inner critic? What was going on for you in that competitive environment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think especially, you know, because we had this very competitive uh, exam that millions of people participated and only a few made it to the best of schools and such, you think that I'm smart, I can do anything. And then you enter the school with a lot of other people like you. And then you, at the time, I think I was, um, I was really thinking I'm not smart enough. I cannot do this. There are a lot of people better than me. And when I think about it now, I wish I knew about growth mindset back then. I truly wish I knew about it, that it's really about the work that you put into it. And it's really not that you're smart or you're not smart, but if something is not working, you need to change your method and approach it differently seek advice from others who are successful in it. So if I had known about growth mindset and had to how to um, you know, practice that during that schooling, I think my experience would have been very, very different. Yeah, I really like that actually. And it's always easy to say these things in hindsight than when you were there at the time, because it's just not part of our schooling to learn about growth mindset, although, um, it is now part of schooling for my children, which I really <laughs> like. But you talked there a little bit about learning from if things aren't going as well as you would like it to be, you know, what can I learn from that? What can I do differently? And one of the things that, well, we did together in the workshop um, in Washington was around um, the art of failing gracefully, so how to do mm -hmm. it well. And you also talked about being a failure analysis intern. So I'm thinking to myself, Faye must be like an expert in learning from failure. So <laughs> this may not be true, but I wondered if you could give us your top tips, having been a failure analysis intern, on how you actually do go about learning from failure. Mm -hmm. Yep. So just to give back on that failure analysis internship is basically you have a device that is failing and you'll try to see where the problem is coming from. And I think that uh, method of looking holistically at all of the things that is contributing to the problem, which is you not being able to do something or you having failed something, I think that process method of looking at all of the things that is contributing to the problem and then trying 
trying to identify which ones are the key contributors to the problem and how can I find a solution or a workaround for it? So that has been, you know, I think a method that even today in a lot of my hardware design and hardware, uh, you know, fixes approaches we use. But when you think of it as the person, and I, as you mentioned, we discussed it in the workshop. Now I know that I wouldn't call it a failure. I would really call it a learning experience about myself and how I can improve what I do. Yeah, I suppose it's that um, old adage of it's a success and a failure is just an outcome. It's not attached to your self-worth. But I like what you said there about looking at the failure in, in an analytical term, in a holistic way, because often I hear people saying, well, I'm not getting the outcome I want to, so I'm just going to work harder, put more effort mm -hmm. in, put more time in, and then I'll get there. But actually, if we look holistically at the person, it might be because they don't have any support at home and therefore they're doing everything everywhere. It could be that mm -hmm. actually every time they go to do something they're managing like big emotions to be able to get, you know, get through the day. It could be a whole heap of things. So I like the idea of looking at failure a lot more holistically and not just in the context within which you're in. Like I'm in my career box. That's the only box I can look mm. in. So I really like that. Um, you also have talked about finding purpose in life and doing that through volunteer experience. And it's always nice also to be paid for our purpose as well. So I wanted to pick up your career pathway journey to find out what happened next. Okay, yeah, sure. So yeah, so I think where we left off, we were talking about the PhD program and me, you know, pairing it with purpose in volunteering. So I eventually graduated after four years. And once again, believe it or not, my confidence at its lowest level. Uh, you know, I know many PhD students that feel the same after graduating because you enter, you think, oh, I'm going to change the world of science. And then you make this little change somewhere. So it can be sometimes depressing. But yeah, and I was part of a very demanding lab. I would say the most demanding photonics lab in our department. And uh and I knew after my second year that I didn't want to stay in academia. And uh, I wanted to work, talking about purpose, I wanted to work on a problem that resulted in a product that touches people's life and improves it. And in a shorter term, of course, research is very necessary, maybe more longer term. I, you know, what I do today, especially, you know, as I told you, like, I know that 80% of credit card transactions are going through securely because of the way we design our systems. And, you know, um, so that has been like, I sort of starting to graduate, I was thinking I want to work on a product. And um, I always joke and say, if I look at my PhD thesis, it was sort of a short story book rather than a novel, where in a short story book, each chapter, you know, uh, is uh, is about solving a different problem or a different story. And then each of them really required a set of technical skills and learning a new topic. 
So I was close to graduation and there was a postdoc um, offer that I could take on, but I decided to uh, not take that on and explore my industry options. But again, I didn't have a specific role or industry in mind. So I ended up, you know, applying to a lot of different sectors. I looked, I had, I applied to consumer product companies, oil and gas companies, and, uh, you know, electronics design, even circuit design, which was my background during my master's, you know, going back that to that uh, uh, to my master's studies. And I eventually decided to take on the oil and gas company uh, uh, offer, which was a, which was very interesting. It was a rotational management program. And it would give you in three years, you would get a sense of all of the different disciplines in oil and gas, and you would then pick where you wanna head to. So it was sort of like a very interesting program. But there was one big problem. It was in Houston. And uh, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, he was in San Diego. And I always tell this to my mentees that choose your partner in life very wisely, especially for women. You know, we can't say that we want an equal workplace, but then at home, we don't have that type of equality. So, So I knew that, you know, this relationship is an important piece of my life. So I continued looking for options in San Diego and I found a position in a startup in San Diego uh, called Lextera, a very small company with a very excellent team in terms of technical knowledge and also in terms of culture. And I'm so thankful to my manager at Lextera who rebuilt my confidence. And he grew my skills in different fronts, in time management, project management, technical skills. And I think I didn't talk about this much, but maybe you noticed that I did my master's in electronics, then I switched to photonics and system design. And my position at Lextera, I hadn't done anything in that field. It was pick design. So I had so I only had one project on characterizing silicon, but outside of that, I hadn't done anything in that area. So I liked putting myself in that position of, you need to learn a totally new topic. I always think of it as someone throws you in the pool, but then they're outside guiding you how to you know, paddle and stuff, but you're sort of have this new experience of gaining skills in a very short amount of time and strengthening your muscles. So, that was, you know, I, I, I think coming out of that, uh, uh, coming out of that experience, now I know how impactful it was. And I'm so happy that I ended up in that company, a small environment. And that company got uh, eventually acquired by Cisco, but I wasn't part of the company when they got acquired. Um, and the good thing about working at a startup is that you experience get exposed to a lot of high level uh, discussions. So, you know, you often meet your CEO, he gives all hands meeting in a very, you know, you're in product launches. So as I was, you know, in those product launches, I realized that I really knew little about uh, the business side of a corporation. So, and I was, as I was at, thinking about all of this and thinking that I think I need to strengthen my skills in another area and 
uh, how do I do that? I was an engineer in, in the company. So, and in the midst of all of that, my husband, uh, he came back from school. You know, he had done a career change. He had gone back to an interdisciplinary program and he was looking for a job. And we ended up, you know, deciding to move to the East Coast. And this is back in 2016. We decided to move. And at first, you know, any change bring with itself doubts. Um, but I was, you know, hoping that I could use this transition as an opportunity to change my career path. But I had no idea where I wanted to go next. You know, I had experienced academia. I had experienced industry in a smaller companies as an engineer. And I knew that it was going to be none of those. And um, so it took me a few months uh, to think. I continued working for the startup remotely. But then I figured I need to take a break and give myself time to explore what is coming next. And again, Bannon was very supportive of that. And uh, he's like, take your time. This is a chance that normally we don't get to be in between jobs. And <clears throat> so I quit my job at this startup and I started uh, thinking about what, a, what is my next step. And I actually tapped into network of my friends and also network of my friends that I built, you know, in volunteer groups and also my company, my family. So I, they connected me with a wide range of professionals uh, from consultants, professors, entrepreneurs. And those discussions were really uh, influential in guiding me in my next step. So I'm in the middle of all of this exploring and I'm talking to one of my lab mates from UC San Diego, which we're still in touch. And she told me, have you heard about this micro MBA program at Radio School of Management at UCSD? And I told her no. And she's like, oh, this is for PhDs and postdocs. And I'm thinking to apply current PhDs and postdocs. And, you know, I thought to myself, okay, I have graduated. Likely the program is not going to accept me, but what is the harm in applying and hopefully writing a letter that makes them cry <laughs> and wants to take me in, <laughs> give me a chance. So I was very lucky. I think my cover letter made an impression on whoever was reviewing and I got into the program and I was very surprised that I got into the program. So we're in the East Coast. I go back to San Diego. I spent a two, three months there. And that program, although it was only three months, it really helped me to get an overview of the business uh, world and also to connect. We had these things called coffee chats and it was once a week uh, or maybe twice a week. And, you know, everyone is PhD and postdoc, so they're busy with their lab work and everything. And I'm this person, you know having a lot of time on my hand. So I attended every single coffee chat and the coffee chats are with CEOs, people who are in San Diego, they're CEOs, CTOs, they have PhDs, but they have pivoted in their careers. So all of those discussions really helped me to realize, given my style that I want to learn new skills, I want to be part of a large corporation that has, uh, you know, a has a profound impact in the world with the portfolio of products that they have. And I ended up finding that opportunity at IBM 
And I, you know, I, as a child, I had considered that company a great company because my mom back in the seventies studied in a IBM sponsored the school in Tehran. So, uh, you know, when I saw the name, my mom was like, you have to take, I'm like, yeah, this is the position that I want. And the position was cross-functional. It was a team lead. And, you know, the rest is history. I've been here for six and a half years. I've taken three or maybe even four different roles. And I feel very lucky that I'm part of, you know, I, I took time to find my path to somewhere that my work also gives me uh, is aligned with my purpose in terms of, you know, making the world a better place uh, for, for everyone. I love that. And I, and great that you started off trying to find that purpose through volunteer work and it's managed to find its way into your paid work as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a few things that I just want to highlight there that I really enjoyed about your story. So the first that often it can feel really like we're under pressure to make decisions about what's next really rapidly and actually taking that time to consider to really take the time out to think about what it is that you would like is super important. I often get people who are already half burnt out and then they're trying to figure out the next steps and there's a protection mechanism I feel that's in place that won't reveal it to you because it's it, there's a part of you that's really scared that you'll go and do it when you're already super tired. So I like the, having that time and space and also your network. So we all know that our network can actually future-proof our career if we nurture it. So any opportunity to have those coffee chats is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Don't see it as fluff around the edges. It can be some of the most integrated pieces of career building that we actually take. So, and the fact that you're tapestry also incorporates your mom like your family like tapestry uh threads kind of weave their way way in as well so I love that but there's a couple of things that I want to ask you before you finish because when we were at Optica together and they have a really great um program in terms of inclusivity and diversity and because the area of photonics and electronics is quite male dominated um, they did pretty well. And so I kind of want to ask you about your experiences of being a woman in quite a male dominated environment. So how have you found that personally? Yeah, so I think uh, for a very, very long time, I was very sensitive for my gender to be even realized at work. You may find it strange, but I really didn't want to be the woman engineer. I just wanted to be just an engineer or just a leader. But, you know, as I progressed in my career, I learned that it's very important to be known as the woman engineer and hopefully be a role model for others and also have role models. And it's because women face different set of challenges than men. And they need that extra support to overcome the biases that can be, you know, ingrained in some of the cultures for decades, which is hard to overcome. I, in terms of my experience, I would uh, summarize it in two words. I would say advocates and doubters. So I want to first talk about advocates and allies. And I think the women in the generation before us really have paved the way for us. I think we're having a much better experience because 
because of all the work that they had done and also the many men who have become allies who have supported our careers as women and I think you heard me talking about my different managers all of them male and they really helped me grow my skill you know network and recognize me for my contributions and so they were advocates and sponsors but so I would say that I think it was a net positive uh, because a lot of people around me believed in diversity but that said no one can deny there are doubters when women are in leadership positions I am a strong believer that no one has bad intentions and it's mainly bad communication skills not being educated and especially on how to empathize and how to even interact with women in a workplace. So, and it, I think that is with more education and better communication skills and things like that, some of the challenges would, would, would be overcome. And I think there's a lot of progress made thus far, but even today we face challenges. I think you and I, we did talk about one of them in the workshop, right? I entering a uh, exhibition, uh, me being the most senior in the group that we entered. There's two women and I think two two men from our company, and we're meeting with this vendor. And after the meeting is done, the one of the exhibitors tells me, "Oh, thank you, beautiful ladies, for visiting us." And I'm like, "No, I was the most senior person who visited your booth." So I think there's still those cultural barriers and cultural impressions and no one would tell a man thank you handsome gentleman for visiting our booth right so we still have those challenges or people who do not believe in the strength of a woman leader so I don't know if I answered your question it does and it reminds me of something I've just seen on LinkedIn today that says nine out of ten people continue to have bias against women according to the latest UN report and like you said, most of these um, biases are often not conscious. They're often mm-hmm. very much unconscious because people don't want to behave in that way. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, they exist. And yeah. they do cause challenges and they do hold uh, women back in various different ways as well. So thank you for really highlighting that as well. And the final thing that I want to ask you today is, You know, you are now in a leadership position and in terms of leadership positions, I always feel like um, we probably could give ourselves some really great advice now as these (laughs) leaders that we are. So if you could go back to a moment in the timeline of your life so far and you could go and drop in and whisper a piece of advice in your ear, which moment would you go back to and what would you say to your younger self? Yeah, I, I think maybe I would go back to 10 years ago when I was finishing my PhD and would tell myself, don't box yourself. Because you usually, uh, you graduate as a PhD student and you think this is my expertise and this is what I can do. But that is not the case. Schooling and education provides us with a set of skills in terms of problem solving and importantly, learning skills or not even defining a problem. Like a patient, you define a problem and then you have to find a solution for it as well. So I would tell my younger self, don't think that, that def- your degree defines you. You can be anything, uh, keep your eyes open to other opportunities and be courageous. Don't uh, take some risk 
don't worry about what's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, some level of uh, mild risk, I would say. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. And um, I guess we'll have to see how the tapestry continues to evolve <laughs> over time as well. I would love to keep in touch and find out what happens for you next, though. Thank you, Hannah. Thanks so much for having me. This is so much fun talking to you and, thank, uh, and uh, connecting again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.